You are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder, where we are bringing science into focus for the next hour here on your Friday afternoon. My name's Cade. I'm your science uh, PhD student, and I'm joined by Kai and Tess. Hey guys, how are you going? We keen? Pretty good. Keen yeah, keen for some science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you guys uh, before we launch in. When you guys, oh, I was going to say when you guys were kids, but actually I'm not even going to limit it to that. I'm just going to, in your entire life up until this point, like, have you guys ever been scared of the dark? Mm, scared of the dark. I I think I'm scared of the dark, but not for, like, the concept of monsters hiding in there. Mm. I think it's more about how clum- clumsy I am <laughs> and how if it's, it's, if it's dark and if the lights aren't turned on, I will knock my leg or knee into a coffee table and uh, there'll be a bruise there. So yeah. probably that's why. You know what? Very fair. Very mm. fair. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been scared of the dark, like, specifically, but I've definitely found, uh, when I was a kid, like, shadows in the dark often were, were scary. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like you, your brain would misinterpret them as being something, and it's like, oh, I'm scared of whatever that might be, mm. rather than, mm-hmm. like, the darkness itself. Well, I mean, that's mm. the thing with any fear, though, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm not really scared of the dark, but I'm definitely, like, scared of heights. But it's not actually the height I'm scared of. It's the possibility of falling that I'm scared mm. of. Like, it's never the actual thing that you claim that the fear is that's the actual fear. Like, if you if you go down into it's it, it's the, the possibilities and outcomes that you don't know yeah. that stem any fear. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm no, sure there's... you disagree? There's, I mean, at least in my experience, but I hear of, like some very irrational fears that have no consequences and like people scared of little holes like what's that one Tri- oh, the trypophobia yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true yeah, yeah. that's true yeah. um yeah okay but i feel mm. but i think it's again the possibility of little insects hiding in there as well i think i've, I've heard mm. that as, okay, a, as okay. a reason like mm. as a reason a for rationalization yeah but again mm. whether that's a rational one or not is is up for interpretation i think yeah. which is most fears well true <laughs> yeah true um, true well, the reason I ask is because we're going to be talking about darkness, mm-hmm. all sorts of various kinds today. I'm very, mm-hmm. very excited uh, for that. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully not scary. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit scary. I mean, I don't know. I, it's interesting to me, actually, that I'm not scared of the dark because I'm just like notoriously scared of literally everything. I'm scared of clowns, <laughs> but I'm like, nah, dark. What if it's no, dark that's reasonable, and though. there's a clown? Well, if, if it's dark, I can't see the clowns, so I guess it's less... <laughs> Scary until the lights turn on. I don't know. Anyway, uh, anyway. we'll get into we'll get into some darkness stuff later. But mm-hmm. first, we should start with some science news. What's been going on in the world of science? Kai, I'm going to throw to you first. I'm going to talk about octopuses. Oh yeah, and octopuses. Okay, yeah. controversial <laughs> opening of. I feel like isn't that a debate of what the plural of octopus? I think octopi, I think octopodes, it's octo- I'm pretty sure it's like definitively octopuses okay um, there's something octopuses. about it being a latin or greek root and not the other one but all right mm-hmm. okay sure um, it's definitely cacti though okay <laughs> i don't actually know if that's your true, study but... is on more than one octopus uh-huh. yes uh, presumably because i think statistical power you'd need more than one octopus to anyway yeah you would need more oct- one <laughs> octopus uh to find out that octopuses are actually incredibly intelligent animals and mm-hmm. this is mm. not really new news no. like we kind of have like known this that. for a while mm-hmm. yep and we know that their brains are very different to mammal brains. Like, that's probably not hard to tell either. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I feel like, Cade, you should be talking about this because some neuroscientists mm. from Japan have been studying octopus brain patterns and might have found evidence that octopuses have dreams. Oh, what? <gasps> no, okay. <laughs> no, I, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah, you did this on purpose. You always pick neuroscience stories and then you look directly at me as you're saying and you're like, I want to see your reaction. Okay, go on. Tell okay, me. okay. Spill it out. Yeah, and I, I like had a lot of qualifiers in that. I said they mm-hmm. might have found evidence. Yeah, so I didn't say. I know. They, I did they, notice yeah, yeah. the uh, language you chose. Um, 
So one thing about octopuses is that they can change their skin pigment to camouflage themselves. That's so, yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. That's pretty cool. That's, um, all right. And what these researchers were doing was they were looking at how the both the brainwave patterns of the octopuses and their camouflage patterns oh. change while oh, they're they asleep. Doing, like, you know, when you see dogs sleeping and yeah. they do the little leg running yeah, things yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. he's chasing rabbits in his dream. Yeah. It's like our octopuses <laughs> changing camouflage and the scientists are like, oh, that octopus is dreaming being next to a rock because it's mm. rock colored. Mm-hmm. Like, is that what's happening? To some extent. I mean, they're doing Wild. it a, a little bit more scientifically <laughs> I mean, than you would with your dog sleeping a, on the lounge room floor or bold something. Bold of you to yeah. assume that. I'm a scientist, Kai, but all right. All right. I want to see you have your hook dog hooked up to like a brain Oh, yeah, the scanner. fMRI machine that I keep in my study because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm rich. You know. um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, looking at these brain patterns as well, and they find that for short amounts of time while the octopuses are asleep – their brain patterns are quite similar to while they're awake and that matches up with their camouflage patterns being like, ooh, I'm next to a rock, sort of things that they experience while they're awake. Right. Mm-hmm. And the the interesting thing is this is evidence of two-stage sleep. So humans, have we know, have yeah. different stages of sleep, like REM sleep is when you, you dream and, and things mm. like that. And this is the first time that two-stage sleep has been in, observed in invertebrates. Mm. My question is how... Okay, so to clarify, they noticed that there were two distinct brain patterns yes. while an octopus was asleep, one that was different to their wakeness and one that was the same Quite as their awakeness. Quite similar to their awakeness. How were they able to confirm that the octopus was actually asleep at that time? Like, Because obviously you can't talk to an octopus and be like, hey, mate, 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 are you awake or are you just mm. like chilling? Because I know like, you know, humans, we can be chilling in a what seems to the outside asleep, but mm. we're actually awake state. Uh, and I just want to know how they how – they, because I know that in rodent studies looking mm-hmm. at sleep, the brain activity is actually one of the things that is how they define whether an animal is asleep or not. They look at the brain activity and they're like, that is the brain activity of a not awake animal because it's different to the brain activity of when it's awake. So if it was yeah. so similar, how were they able to still be like, oh, it's still asleep? Yeah. So I don't think it was identically similar. Yeah. Okay. I it think was it different just enough, showed, but it was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Showed cool. patterns of being awake while still being mm-hmm. not awake. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that this matched up with the camouflage also changed. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's um, Now, whether or not this actually you know, tells us whether octopuses experience dreams mm. or not is pretty hard. You can't ask an octopus, hey, wh- not yet. what did you dream yeah. about? I don't know. Octopuses are pretty intelligent. Pretty so intelligent. teaching them language is the next step, I reckon. Okay, well, oh yeah. But at least very cool that, you know, this two-stage sleep has been observed in invertebrates. So very cool. That's very cool. I, I wonder if they have nightmares and good dreams as well. Like, <laughs> Truly, to split yeah. that out, I guess that's probably the mm. next step, right? Now that we know that they do dream. Yeah. <laughs> if they have good dreams or bad dreams. Mm. And what, what a good dream looks like for well, what an octopus. What does an octopus dream even yeah. look like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, mm-hmm. Tess, you've got some news for us? I sure do. I um, My background's in uh, public health, so I'm doing a master's at the moment. Uh, and I'm, my major is in sexual health. Mm. So uh, thinking about the sociology around that and different sort of determinants, um, there was a really interesting news story that came out at the start of this year uh, where there was a mouse proof-of-concept model for a male contraceptive. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about this. Yeah, it's, um, it's actually pretty interesting because right now there's about, I guess, 50% of every pregnancy is considered unwanted. 
that's not to say every 50 percent i didn't realize it was that high wow i know know. yeah (laughs) it's and that's not to say 50 percent of pregnancies end in termination it's it's more um it's more around sort of reasons exactly is it unplanned Unplanned. or yeah unplanned Unplanned. rather than unwanted i guess absolutely yeah 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 yeah. so basically what that means is there's a massive unmet need for contraception Mm. um Mm. and Mm -hmm. we have a lot of options for the female reproductive system Mm -hmm. uh but only really two for the male reproductive system which is condoms and a vasectomy um yeah so uh so yeah this is a really interesting uh study that was done um basically it's a pill that uh is an inhibitor for basically uh, i'm calling this like the red bull (laughs) of what (laughs) sperm need to actually move um so they basically chill out in the testicle just vibing sort of dormant and then it's only when they exit the testicle Mm. where they get this injection of adenylyl cyclase yeah um which is like specific red bull gives you wings red bull gives you wings absolutely um and that's what makes them able to move and able to um, fertilize mm. an egg. So this is an inhibitor that works uh, for 24 hours and then uh, mm. it wears off and you go back to full fertility, um, which Ooh, is... That's good, right? Uh, the, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. So um, it's a really cool concept that, yeah, it's proved in mice. Um, mm. We'll see where that heads in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, really promising. Um, very oh. cont- keen to see where it goes. Yeah. That's really exciting stuff. Mm. Um I'm going to I'm going to change tact and talk about uh not humans but uh spiders but stay on the same well we're going to talk about mating kind of um <laughs> No okay so there was this study it came out this week um where so it was published in BMC Biology researchers from Flinders University were looking at this species of spider that I hesitate because I've written down the scientific name and I always do this and I always get to this point and I'm like why do I do this to myself and I'm going to paraticulia or not look it's a gift-giving spider that is a roughly, like, bottle-capped-sized semi-aquatic spider found in, like, Uruguay and surrounding mm-hmm. South American uh, countries. And so this spider, it's called a gift-giving spider because the way their mating sort of usually works, the males will offer, like, prey mm-hmm. to the female as a way to sort of convince them to mate, right? It's it's a gift-giving. It's beautiful. It's cute. It's, they said romance you know, was dead. They've got know? a – well, I mean, these <laughs> days, unfortunately, it seems to maybe be because Uh-oh. climate change. So the researchers found that during moderate – to harsh um, environmental periods, which are becoming unfortunately more and more frequent <laughs> these days, um, the males of this particular spider species, uh, they tended to actually offer the females like a deceptive or worthless gift <gasps> rather than a food <laughs> oh gift. Oh my God. Um, so like that would every, like every so often that was going to, like that was happening anyway, mm-hmm. but it found, they, this study found that the behavior probably corresponds with yeah periods of time when the food is more difficult to find. So like the males are just cheating by offering these <laughs> fake gifts, but like even sort of, more concerningly than that is that usually in times of prosperity, the females will reject any male that dares to offer mm. a fake gift. Yeah. But during these harsh times, like, the women get desperate too. <laughs> like, they just start to be like, okay, fine, look, I'll take what I can get, which at the moment is nothing. Um, <laughs> and so we end up with this, you know, yeah, situation. And so overall, the researchers of this study wanted to warn of, you know, the long-term effects of climate change on these mm-hmm. spiders and these species. But they also just found it really, like, I read the paper, it was really interesting how they were reflecting on how sexual selection becomes more relaxed in harsh environments. And they're like, mm. definitely in this spider species, but it can't just be this one spider species. And you kind of think about humans as well. Mm. You know, sure, sexual more selection liberal. can become more relaxed in harsh <laughs> environments. It's just, it's interesting to think about. And I'm going to, you know, leave it at that. You can, you can ponder. Um, so... Steering away from our news, like I said, we're going to be talking all about darkness today. So mm. our first song, I'm going to take us into Out of the Black by Royal Blood. Mm. 
Welcome back to Radio Silence, where we're bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. That was Out of the Black by Royal Blood, and today we're talking about darkness. Mm. So, Tess, what, what light are you going to shine on darkness today? Oh, <laughs> how long were you thinking of I, that one? That one was natural. I didn't have that thought up or anything. And I, I know you don't believe me, but <laughs> I don't have time to pre-think of puns. Credit where credit's due. It was a good one. So. <laughs> um, I mean, well, that's interesting, right? Because uh, I'm talking about dark matter, and particularly mm. dark matters, the plural mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and dark matter um, doesn't emit any light. You can't doesn't absorb any light either so yeah we can't shed light on dark mm. matter really that's at least uh, not literally not <laughs> literally metaphorically we will um i work at a science gallery have mm-hmm. either of you been to science gallery yes but yeah. not i mean not to dark matter dark no, matters no. is only just yeah open, yeah, yeah. Right? i'm going tomorrow night actually <gasps> to the the sci-fi is being at, yeah. held at uh, science gallery yeah cool but i went when it was the mental exhibit yes was the most recent time i went i meant to go to the beyond the binary breaking the binaries whatever yeah. it was called most recent one but yeah then, yeah the weekend I was meant to go, I tested positive for COVID literally <gasps> in the morning, like, as I was about to leave and go to Science Gallery with my yeah. friends. So, you know, that happened. Yeah. But uh, Science <laughs> Gallery time. is great. The concept <laughs> of it makes me so happy. Totally, um, totally. Yeah. Um, that's so for good our, to hear. our listeners that don't know what yes. Science Gallery is, yes. what, uh, what is Science Gallery? Well, yeah, it opened up um, in, like, 2008 it, uh, at Trinity College Dublin. So, basically, they wanted to create a space that mm-hmm. was kind of by young people and for young people. Mm-hmm. So, it's sort of looking at that 15 to 28 age bracket um, where, you know, you're, you sort of want to talk about uh, big topics and have big discussions, mm. uh, really invested in like future of technology and the future of science, but mm-hmm. also use art to talk about that and yeah. make it actually accessible. You know, it's a space that um, isn't really sciencey and it isn't really artsy. It's sort of, yeah, a really fun it's both like yeah. like the world is like let's, let's yeah. be absolutely honest right we have I don't know I feel like especially when you get into a university setting mm. there is this such a like strong line that's drawn as like here are your arts and here are your sciences yeah. and it's like they do not talk you know you're either good at one like or the other you're not you know yeah, yeah. and it's very rare to kind of have these things that really try and be like actually look if we took elements from both maybe they'll actually enhance each other oh, like absolutely. wild right absolutely um, and science gallery is really one of those places that oh, does that and i love that yeah for sure because it's like your idea of science is very objective there's like black and white it's mm. true or false or it's right or wrong you know mm. but art is very subjective mm. and it's based on experience or perspective um but you know what creativity can we bring out of science you know mm. at, the, at the heart of it mm. research which is coming up with creative solutions or answers for questions that haven't yeah, been answered yet. Totally, so totally. there's a real inherent creativity in that, yeah. which I think I really have gotten on board with. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we uh, Science Gallery Melbourne opened up last year. So we had the mental show, um, which you went to. Uh, mm. Did you go on the rainbow hamster wheel? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There is, there is like very awkward like video of me just being oh, like yeah. walking on it and being like, I don't really know what to do, but I need, I need content of this because it's amazing. <laughs> totally. It was like for people that weren't there, it was like a human size, like you could yeah. walk on it and it was a, it was a rainbow and it was a yeah. hamster wheel. It just like was this wheel that rotated as you <laughs> oh. walked on it. I don't know. Maybe you could run. It I don't think so you were probably fun. allowed well, to run we on it. Al- well, yeah, we had to do like, <laughs> no running rule because, yeah. oh my God. It's, and it's funny because you'd see a bunch of guys walk into the gallery and you're like, okay, I know yeah. we're going to have yeah. to be really strict on this one because <laughs> god damn people people really went for it uh and i would have if i'd been allowed i'll be completely <laughs> honest right but at the same time i saw a woman who was like probably in her mid-60s holding a glass of champagne in her in her hand in heels <laughs> in, oh my gosh in belting heels, walking on belting this. it oh my god she Running. was booking it yeah 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 absolutely incredible and, and there's no break right we yeah didn't, we didn't have a break for it it's yeah, just so an art it piece. would and because it's it was quite like you know bigger than a human right yeah. so large so i feel like there would be some momentum that might oh, get yeah. built up with oh, this thing oh yeah oh yeah and you can't just stop 
because With a glass of champagne. Okay. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can't just stop because the momentum will keep you going. So you had to slowly <laughs> slow down. It was a whole. It was a whole thing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> then we had. But it had a purpose. It had. It, a, it sure had a scientific it purpose. Did. I don't recall what it was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was. Um, <laughs> it's. It doesn't really matter. No, it was. <laughs> Um, no, it actually was uh, a collaboration with a scientist oh, from no. the Flory. True, it Dr. was. Dr. Emma it Burrows. Was, it was Emma yeah. Burrows, um, of course. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. really embarrassing. Um, I if you're listening to this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I do remember what you're... Um, no, it was super cool because she collaborated with this artist, Jeremy Tango, who loves rainbows mm. and, you know, brings so much, has so much joy from rainbows too. So it was this giant rainbow hamster wheel. <laughs> um, and Dr. Emma Burrow's research was, was around motivation and exercise. Yeah. You know, uh, we know that exercise is good for us, mm. but why can't we do it every day? You know, yeah. what are the barriers yeah. there? Yeah. Um, so her work is with mice uh, mm. and she actually feeds mice uh, strawberry milkshake yes. drops, yeah. uh, which I love to hear. And yeah. I was like, why don't we get a strawberry milkshake dropper human sized in the gallery? But, you know, that got vetoed but uh, <laughs> but it was this really interesting idea of you know when you see like the results on the screen and you're filling up little mm. circles and mm-hmm. there's a competition with you know other people what can yeah. team sport bring to that as well mm. yeah. but also it was essentially a treadmill but it didn't look anything like a treadmill <laughs> mm. you know mm. um, which is also really fun so yeah that's the sort of thing that Science yeah. Gallery loves to do um, and yeah we just opened up our new exhibition called Dark Matters uh, I think the tagline's unseen and unknown which is yeah very mm. mysterious mm. Um, and I've yeah had a crash course in physics over the past couple of months so i'm bursting to the seams uh with my fun facts that i've just uh learned awesome um, tell me all of them because yeah. i know nothing about dark matter like yeah i mean it's a thing that i've heard of right like yeah. you know but i am not even like remotely a physicist and yeah i'm just like it's it's a thing yeah it's that, a thing that, it's a thing <laughs> i don't actually have any like clue what it is like i'll be honest i know that's perfect is, is it something space related like i don't oh. actually i've got no idea <laughs> genuinely totally i'm an fine. idiot and i love it's it totally fine um, um neither did i but i found out that we only know uh what five percent of the universe is made up of so that's all the stuff that we can touch right, see yeah. detect mm-hmm. everything like that mm. um and 95% of the universe is stuff that we cannot detect or see or feel or touch or anything like that. Mm. How do we know that? Like, So that's sort of that mystery, that unseen, that unknown idea of um, dark matter being something that we can see the effects of when right. we look at stuff that mm-hmm. we can observe, mm-hmm. like massive clusters of galaxies. We can see gravitational waves. Yeah, um, they're being okay. pushed around, but yeah, we're not sure why. We can't. Yeah, so that's it. sort of dark matter. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, we can't detect dark matter yet. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be something in the future. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so this uh, this new exhibition sort of thinking about that concept is something that is around us all the time that we have so many questions about, but, you know, we can't really put a finger on or mm. really touch or feel. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot around mysteries, which is really fun. Mm. Um, the, a, re- a really strong theme is around subatomic particles as well. So stuff that is super, super small um, that we cannot see, uh, mm-hmm. but that other things can detect, like uh, muons, uh, which are my new favorite tiny, uh, <laughs> tiny, cute thing. Okay. In my mind, they're really cute. Uh, <laughs> it's a cute name. It's, it's giving very, like, I don't know, made me think of, like, Mewon? Mewtwo for, like, Oh, my Pokemon. God, true. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. picturing little muons going, Mewon, Mewon. It's like, it's a new Pokemon. I'm oh sorry. Oh, my I, God. That's exactly, no. that's exactly what they would sound like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they're smaller. <laughs> they're smaller than a proton. So they're smaller than like an atom. Uh, but they're 200 times bigger than an electron. So mm. they're still okay. super tiny. Still can't see them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a couple of pieces in the gallery that use muons um, and uh, detect them and then do cool stuff with them. Mm-hmm. So one of them is by a, an artist named John Butt. And he's a Melbourne artist, actually. And, uh, and his piece is called Mew Mewography. Oh um, so in lockdown, he actually 
actually DIY a muon detector, which you mm-hmm. totally can do. There's okay. a, yeah. So, <laughs> Look, you know, you if can you do got anything free time. Lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly bought a butter churner. So, I mean, like, butter churner muon detector. It's like... Um, <laughs> In the same realm. <laughs> Splitting hairs, of... absolutely. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so he created a muon detector. Um, and muons are super hard to detect because uh, they're really tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but they should also not be able to be detected on Earth's surface. Um, okay. They basically spawn to life they go they sort of pop to life uh right at the top of the atmosphere so cosmic rays hit the atmosphere and then sort of split apart Mm -hmm. muons you know come into being um and then they only really live for two microseconds uh (laughs) which is not a lot of time (laughs) if you can conceptualize that it's okay i literally (laughs) yeah neither can i um but uh but they move at the speed of light right which is super fast but Two microseconds moving at the speed of light is not enough time for them to hit the surface of the Earth. Mm. It's but not, a time, not a lot of time for much. I no, would have Like, no. how do we know these things exist? Like, how do we? Mm-hmm. Like, what do they do in those two microseconds that has been detectable enough to? detect them well they basically after the two microseconds they split apart into smaller things again right so yeah that's sort of their like muon decay Mm -hmm. amount of time Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah they do make it to the surface of the earth so we have detectors we can detect them uh john bart's muon detector is actually two um oh i'm gonna forget the name of it the thing that picks up uh radiation uh geiger counters yeah stacked on top of each other Mm. so basically it knows that a muon's there if both the geiger counters go off at the exact same time in the exact same spot because it's moving so fast, mm. it's going right. to detect on yeah. both. Yeah, which is really cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, basically, how do they make it to the surface of the Earth? Um, the reason is special relativity, which Einstein sort of had this theory for, and muons being able to be detected here is, is proof of that, right? So um, it would take a lot longer than two microseconds for them to reach us. Mm. But it's actually time dilating that is causing them to move <laughs> through. I know, right? <laughs> I'm just, it's so, for anyone that's not in the room, which is literally everyone else, I'm sitting here just like shaking my head, like what is going on? And Kai's sitting there nodding yeah. his head like, yeah, I understand Hell this yeah, stuff. Hell yeah, right. time dilation. That, that makes sense. <laughs> See, I've just been white knuckling all the physics since, um, of late. But uh, no, it's really fun. Basically, if uh, if the muon had a tiny little watch, again, adorable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm loving the visualization. On, so the all the way around this watch, say it goes from 12 to 12 again, yep. that can be two microseconds. Yep. Mm-hmm. The muon's watch, when it hits the surface of the Earth, it would have gone around one time. It thinks that it's only travelled two microseconds. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, but from us watching, mm. it's looking like it's taking a lot longer than two microseconds. How much longer do we know? Uh, like- oh, quite a lot longer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, quite a lot. I'm not sure of the math. I'll mm. get back to you in the next song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, because it's already moving at the speed of light, mm. space is sort of compressing. So, um, <laughs> this is just... Wild in, in the best way. In the I'm best like, way, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, that was no, that was totally me reading about all this. Me like, okay, but are they sure? Sounds like, fake, but <laughs> I, I believe fake. it. I know a lot of real smart physicists. Yeah. And I believe it. Special relativity. This has been around for over a hundred years. Yeah, totally. I've, I've definitely heard of it before. <laughs> Old time. Uh, I believe it. Sure. Like, I, I don't get it, but I believe it. <laughs> and we barely even touched on dark matter. New ones we already know about. Yeah, yeah true. Like. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I mean, from the muon's perspective as well, if you're if you if you're sitting on the back of the muon, it's got little eyes. It's basically seeing this green blue pancake race up towards it um, <laughs> because time because space is being compressed. Because uh, you know what still blows my mind is that time and space are the same thing, mm. kind of sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 
that's still yeah it's beyond my ability to yeah. actually grasp in any like meaningful way totally but yes. totally but all that to say uh john bart made a muon detector uh mm. it's now sitting in the gallery and every but time you can go see it you can go see it from the university you can go see it. you can scan a qr code and you can get the recipe for how to make your own muon detector <laughs> what if you would like yes it's like a whole online like community of people that have made their own um which is really really fun i love <laughs> people sometimes are they great? Aren't Truly. they great? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes they're great. Um, but yeah, essentially it's taking these muon, um, these muons that are hitting them. Muons are hitting us all the time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's making like sort of a visual map of that. From that, it's turning it into music. Uh, I know. <laughs> this gets cooler with every sentence. And you've talked about literally one thing. That's I, I really hope they're like playing up on the pun of music. Oh my gosh. Oh. If not, I'm mad. You know what? I actually haven't heard someone make that pun yet. And <laughs> I think everyone's going to have to hand in their t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Uh, guys <laughs> oh my god but um but yeah it's really fun because basically it plays across this map of all the muons that have hit the little counter and um treats it like it's a piano so it's okay. creating oh. like all the different notes cool, hitting cool. it um and i always ask my high school students when i take them on tours is the artist the muons or is it john mm. Mm. what would be your answer it's a collaboration all mm-hmm. art is a collaboration mm-hmm. and, and john's collaborating with the muons mm-hmm. Good on mm-hmm. him. Good yep. on him. It's yeah. the band. John and the Muons. John and the Muons. <laughs> I'd sign him. Uh, what do you reckon, Kai? I reckon it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're, you know, running out of time. Anything oh, yeah. else you want to add to oh, this? Really I'm nothing sure you else. could go for like an hour. Oh, my God. I mean, I do go for an hour and a half. That's usually how long the tour takes. Um, but all that to say, just come and check it out. It's until the um, sort of start of December. Um, mm. There's a lot of really fun stuff. And, uh, yeah. Cool time. All right. Well, mm-hmm. thanks for that. We'll, yeah, stick around, talk a bit more about darkness. Mm-hmm. And before that, we've got a song. This is Andromeda by Way's Blood. You are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. That was Andromeda by Way's Blood. And today we are talking all about darkness. We just had, we just heard about the amazing Dark Matters uh, exhibit that's currently on at the Science Gallery. So what did you say, Tess, early uh, December? Early December, yeah. Yeah, cool. So if you can get yourselves over to like look at some of those mm-hmm. cool exhibits and learn I was going to say learn something about dark matter, but maybe learn how much we don't know. Yeah, I think that's more the purpose. (laughs) About dark matter. But, of course, dark matter is not the only type of darkness uh, science that there is. So, Kai, we're going to talk about some different darkness science. What have you got for us? Well, as as scientists, we like... We like to be, you know, descriptive when we, we talk about things. And darkness is mm. a tricky one because, you know, in everyday life, you know, might talk about levels of darkness. It's like, oh, yeah, it's very dark outside or mm. this color is darker than that one. But really, you know, if you want to be precise, there's there's no such thing as darkness. It's yeah, just, it's just the mm. absence, the absence of, thing, of light. Right? The yeah. Thing light. Yeah. So it would be like trying to measure how quiet something is because it's Mm. actually just the absence of sound. Mm. So you can't really measure darkness directly. You can only measure it like relative to Mm. some reference Mm -hmm. light level. Yeah. And yeah, if there's not much light, then we say it's dark. So that's, that's, you know. Cool. And so that's the segment, guys. (laughs) But hold on. That doesn't stop us from trying to make things dark. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So if you want to make your bedroom dark, you know, you close the curtains and that blocks out the light. The house that I currently live in has like fully blackout shutters, which I've just never had in my life. And my gosh, is it the best? (laughs) Can't go back. (laughs) Oh, very nice. And they work so well because all materials absorb light, obviously some better than others. But if you get a thick enough layer of material, you can just block out a lot Mm. of light. Mm. And if you go 
deep underground, you can block out like pretty much all the light. You also block out other things like muons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess talking more about dark matter, that's why they put their experiments deep underground. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, but going underground is one of the few places on Earth where you can experience basically total darkness. Like unless you make a, deliberately make a room that's like pitch black and mm. you, you try very, very hard to block out all the light, it's often still a little bit of light's going to come in from somewhere. Mm. And you might not notice it at first if your eyes haven't mm. had time to adjust. But yeah, it's, it's amazing that to get that total darkness is, is quite difficult. Mm. Um, so that's by blocking out light, by absorbing it or putting some sort of barrier in between you and the light. What if you want to stop reflecting light? And one way you can do this is if you put a pigment or a paint color on a surface, uh, yep. um, that's going to absorb the light that it, it hits. And, you know, talking about art, this is obviously very important in art and paintings and things like this. Uh, humans have been using black pigments for thousands of years. One of the earliest ones was, was like charcoal. Mm. And it's really interesting when you, you think about like artists using colors, very, very rarely do they use pure black yeah. Mm. Because, you know, even in reality, because it's very rare for us to see pure dark things, like you never see pure black, even like black I mean, you walk objects. around Melbourne, everyone dresses in black <laughs> and everyone tries. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's not pure black, right? So the, mm. their, their clothes mm. still have texture. You mm. can still see a little bit of reflections off yeah. them, like if it's a bit shiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, it would almost be disconcerting, I think. If you didn't have that, right? Can you imagine someone walking around in a jumper that just like actually properly looked black? Yeah, well, mm. like you wouldn't be able to discern any shapes. Yeah, it would be like two dimensional, a full optical illusion of like a hole it's floating like through space. Spider I don't noir know. in like across <gasps> the Spider Verse. Yeah, like how he's like two dimensional and yes. he's in black and white. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, even here has like has shading as well, mm, so not not totally mm, black. Yeah. Um, if we keep the Spider-Verse theme, the, the spot in the second oh, one. Oh, so true. Yeah, I yep. only watched that the other day, so yeah. like mm -hmm, right on mm -hmm. theme. Um, anyway, but let's, let's talk about like how scientists take this one step further and try and make something that is completely black. I really was hoping this is where you were going with this, and I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, well, then you probably think I'm going to talk about Vantablack, which is like the most famous super black type pigment advertises the blackest black yeah and vanta actually stands for v-a-n-t-a -A, mm. vertically aligned nanotube arrays yeah mm. right which is mm -hmm. really cool because it's not a black pigment like charcoal that it's like just inherently has the color black well i mean technically it does these nanotubes on their own are black mm. but the reason that they're the blackest the blackest black mm -hmm. yeah is because these little nanotube arrays, you can imagine these tiny tubes made out of carbon atoms, so they're, they're really small, mm. and they make long, skinny tubes, and if you vertically align them on a surface, so they're on the surface, mm. they're sticking up, they're mm -hmm. kind of like little hairs. Oh. Mm -hmm. And these little hairs, it's like this forest of fur on the surface, and yeah. this traps the light. Oh. So oh. they're also black, they absorb the light, but also because of their structure and texture, it's right. like actually trapping the light because it like goes light in disappears. and mm. bounces off inside the, all the, the, the little mm. pillars and doesn't come out again. Because it's kind of a, a three-dimensional structure, right? Even yeah, though it's yeah. like in the nano scale, so it doesn't look three-dimensional to, to us. us. Mm. But it's three-dimensional by a photon standard, presumably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's much, much better at trapping light than just regular black pigments. Yeah. So 
where scientists will put some numbers on that. Yes. Uh, normally, like typical black paint, for example, absorbs about 97% of the light that hits it. I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty mm. good. Like, I'll take it. I mean, yeah, but that 3% that it still reflects is enough to, you know, see things like texture in the paint mm-hmm. or, you know, have edges and like things that our experience... We can still discern it. We can still like, discern. Like, it's not yeah. this, this magical black hole of absorbing light. Yeah. Um, Vantablack absorbs 99.965% of light. Wow. So I mean, it's still not 100. It's still yeah. not 100. You know, <laughs> not we try, but... but yeah. um, that's, that's incredible. That's actually... Yeah. I can't even, yeah, conceptualize what it would be like looking at that. Well... I'm you, just looking at all the black things in this room and mm. realizing how not black they all are. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are doing <laughs> yeah. the same. Or I've like been the doing the same, yeah. I'm just looking around at everything that you have just previously called black, being like, but it's actually not. It's, it's <laughs> not, yeah. At all. Um, but thinking, like, actually, like, you, if you want to make something coated in Vanta black, it's not actually that practical because mm. it, you can't just paint it on. You have to grow these nanotubes oh, on the surface. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fully, like, grow the forest. Grow the forest, the yeah. So, um... Like the the most famous sort of photo of this is they got a piece of aluminium foil that they grow the Vanta black on, mm. and you look at it, mm. and the foil is crinkled, but the black bit and then it's smooth. It looks smooth because yeah. it's absorbing so much light, yeah, and you can't, can't even tell. Um, Crazy. But then, like, obviously, they look like a glitch. If it's a photo, I feel like a photo it, of this thing, it would just look like it a looks pixel like error someone has something. just cut the section out of the photo, just made it yeah, black, like, like opened on it up, paint, traced yeah, it, and deleted. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Vantablack, because you've obviously heard about it before, Cade, that mm. their marketing team is pretty good, and they got BMW to coat a car Yeah, in I did hear about this. <laughs> um. Which is absurd, because from certain angles, the car kind of looks 2D. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's absurd, but also, if, if any car company was going to do it. Well, that, that's the thing. The, the Vantablack marketing team was like, no, nah, we... We've been approached by other car companies and we're only doing it for <laughs> BMW rather. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, but then people are like, all right, so if you can't actually see this car properly. like That's so dangerous, that's right? That's so dangerous. That's <laughs> not what you want when, like, motor vehicle accidents are, like, uh, the leading. Anyway, yeah. that's fine. That's, yep. And they thought, okay, well, it's probably going to be pretty dangerous for, like, automatic braking systems as well, mm. like where the cars use lasers and things to detect other mm. cars mm-hmm. and then stop before they hit them. Yeah, self-driving cars would... Struggled. Well, they thought that, and then they tested it, and, they and it actually was okay. Oh, that's so that the technology, really the technology in the self-driving cars, and not even self-driving, just regular cars yeah. with these assistant mm, modes. Actually, um, true. Has I forget fancy cars have that? Yeah, 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 <laughs> in I my know. mind, it's still just like not rich enough to have one. I've still got an aux cord. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. I have my like Yui Boom Bluetooth <laughs> yeah. speaker like in the drink holder, and that's how I do music in my car. So, uh, but yeah, these these fancy cars could actually still detect it with their like high technology. So mm. that was pretty cool. But despite all their marketing, Vantablack's still not even the blackest black. Um, yeah. So a group yeah, from yeah, MIT yeah. came up with a, another variant, which is essentially the same thing using these carbon nanotubes. Mm. And it's about, well, it absorbs 99.995. So that's up from 965, which is about, you could say, seven times darker. I know that's that's fraud, but <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm gonna trust the physicist on the maths, but like, okay, at that stage though, like, is it? You say seven times, but like, it absorbs, it, it reflects seven times less light. Yeah, okay. Um, but is that like functionally? Like, is there are there situations where up at that top top level, like, we're actually gonna notice it? Um, 
you or I might not, but mm. if you're looking at things like, you know, what they actually might want to use these technologies for, say, put it inside a telescope to block out stray reflections. Mm. Yeah. Like, mm. you at might that scale, actually. It'll still make yeah. a difference. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, as I said, normal black paint is 97%. So, yeah. 3% mm-hmm. is, yeah, okay. is still enough to worry about. And, yeah, that next point zero zero three percent or whatever it is is, mm. is also pretty important. Wild. Well, <laughs> I don't know. My mind is blown with all this darkness stuff. Kai, was there anything else that you wanted to chat about darkness-wise no, before I launch good. us into our next song? Which, I don't know, we were talking about across the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. this next song is from the first Spider-Verse movie, very fittingly, um, Scared of the Dark by Lil Wayne and Ty Dolla Sign. Welcome back to Radio Silence, where we're bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. That was Scared of the Dark by Lil Wayne and Ty Dolla Sign. We're talking about darkness on today's show. Cade, what have you got for us? Well, look, darkness it, as a concept fills very much the territory of physicists. We've had mm-hmm. a bit about dark matter mm-hmm. and about like the absence of light darkness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who's listened to the show before or knows me as a person knows that I am very much not a physicist. <laughs> and so, As you've said several times on this show. <laughs> because I just, I'm just not. And so what I've decided to do with today's theme is I'm going to talk about a different type of darkness, a psychological darkness. I'm okay. going to talk about depression um, because I am an neuroscientist and I, I understand the brain maybe a little bit more um i don't know i try to <laughs> so what i want to talk about though um in particular is i just depression is one of those things i think we hear a lot about and we kind of there's almost this misconception i think amongst people that like as a result of how much we talk about it and know about it like that we sort of understand it right <laughs> we yep. do not no. like even sort of i mean we do a little bit and we're making really good headway but like mm. as a whole there is just there is a lot of misinformation out there um i think the biggest one in particular like you've, you guys have probably heard this idea like of depression resulting from a chemical imbalance mm. in the brain right or in particular like serotonin yeah. is sort of the thing people like oh yeah or too low serotonin like if i, right. I, know, I probably yeah. should have asked you before i spoiled what most people think <laughs> but if i was to ask you you know mm-hmm. like what causes depression what do we think most mm-hmm. people will come back with like it's serotonin right it's too low and mm. you know um but then in July last year, there was this review that came out that was, like, very controversial at the time. It caused a whole big controversy. And I kind of wanted to talk about it at the time, but then I was waiting for it to all blow over because it was all a bit ridiculous. But it was this review that came out about serotonin. It was called, you know, The Serotonin Theory of Depression, a Systematic Umbrella Review of the Evidence. Such a uh, good title. Right. <laughs> uh, but then the paper essentially it concluded that, you know, that, like the main areas of serotonin research provide no consistent evidence of there being an association between serotonin and depression, no support for the hypothesis that depression is caused by lower serotonin activity or concentrations. And they then went on to, like, use this to call into question the like widespread prescription of antidepressants mm-hmm. as a treatment right because the most mm-hmm. common class of antidepressants is your SSRIs selective mm-hmm. serotonin reuptake mm-hmm. inhibitors and so they've essentially gone look there is no you know we've done this massive net meta analysis there's no correlation like like why are we treating people like this is and you yeah. know the media latched onto this <sighs> and ran with it with headlines like everything we thought we knew about depression is wrong. Like these are real headlines. <laughs> um, scientists question the widespread use of antidepressants after survey on serotonin. Like they just – the media actually just made such a big deal about how this was like mm-hmm. suddenly new information that's shattered what neuroscience and psychiatry mm-hmm. like thought we knew yep. about depression for the last half a century. Like yep. it's just – but that's just like not even – that's not – the case at all like that is not at all what this review has done and like so many sort of you know expert opinion pieces Mm -hmm. have come out since sort of you know first of all criticizing a lot of the methodology of the study and how it's done but like i think that's not even that's not the most important part of this 
um, the most important thing to me, I think, is that this like so-called you know, chemical imbalance theory or serotonin hypothesis has like been well known by the field to be inaccurate and inadequate as Mm. an explanation for like ages. Like this is old news to anyone who's actually like in the field. And so using this, you know, meta-analysis to call into question the use of like drugs that work on serotonin to help treat depression like it's to me it's ridiculous because <laughs> it's it's a very much it's a chicken and the egg situation misunderstanding causation like correlation because the fact that drugs that work on serotonin serotonin help treat depression like that fact is what actually led to the development of this theory in right. the first place yeah. so like i don't know it's just it's so dangerous for the media to just like run with this approach because it could cause people to stop trusting their doctors or totally. just start like stop taking their their medication when like what we do know is that it is an effective treatment mm. for yeah. some people yeah. right like so Essentially, this all started back in the 1950s when there were two new drugs that were not intended to treat depression at all um, that were just miraculously found to be very effective, miraculously, like coincidentally, (laughs) also miraculously, I guess, found to be very effective antidepressants. So the first one was... um, why do I write these down? And, you know, uh, (laughs) Iprinozid. Look, it it was a drug that was intended to treat tuberculosis. Um, and there was a 1952 trial where it did, in fact, very effectively treat tuberculosis, but it also improved the moods of patients who had also been diagnosed with depression. Mm. And then there's Iprim- <sighs> there was another drug <laughs> that was a drug for allergic reactions. Also starts with I, also hard to pronounce. Um, and in 1956, there was a Swiss trial that found a similar thing where it like also improved the mm. mood and depression mm. of these people. So the interesting thing about these two drugs is that they both affected a class of neurotransmitters called monoamines. So that's your norepinephrine, your dopamine, and your serotonin. Right. That's your three. Mm. And like we, d- we didn't know which one of those three it's sort of targeted at first. It was just kind of like something about increasing monoamines seems to help. That's really cool. Um, so this kind of discovery was what led to this chemical imbalance theory of depression because this was like the first time anyone had considered something other than psychotherapy mm-hmm. as being an option for depression, right? Mm. It was like, oh, hang on, something other than like talking could like, oh, maybe there is something chemical like going on. Like it, it makes sense, right? Mm. If if there is a drug that changes the balance of these chemicals in the brain, which is what it did, it increases the concentration mm-hmm. of these monoamines in the brain. If that can correct correct an illness, mm. then it, it does seem logical that some sort of imbalance of these chemicals is what's causing the illness. Mm. And so that led to several other drugs then being discovered that also acted on these monoamines that were effective. But the problem is they were all just like acting on just a bunch of the monoamines and just doing all the things, coming with a bunch of side effects. So they tried to be like, okay, well, let's figure out specifically what it's acting on. And it found we then found that the ones acting on serotonin were the most effective. And so we've mm. kind of just gone down this path. But this has never actually been able to explain why they work. Because the thing about SSRIs and these antidepressants, they increase your concentration of serotonin within a couple hours of taking them. Mm-hmm. It's within, like, weeks. You have to take these drugs for weeks before they actually start helping your depression. So we've right. known since the start that this very, very simplistic explanation was, like, limited. Like, yeah. we have we – have, science has always known that but it was kind of a very good you know simple explanation leading theory of like look it's doing something but it actually seems to be doing you know is it doing something to cause these receptors to compensate in some way there's actually the leading theory at the moment is that these drugs are actually helping neurogenesis so like the growth of new neurons because depressed depressed brains have consistently been found to have like less gray matter in certain brain regions and be smaller Mm. Um, and it's also been found in like animals that antidepressants increase bdnf which is like a neurotrophic growth factor which Mm -hmm. helps with this and and 
increases the growth and branching of like nerve cells. Ultimately, the end of the like all of this is to say we don't know why <laughs> antidepressants work, but we do know that they, they do, do in yes. a lot of people. But yes. also, we don't know why general anesthesia works. Yeah. We've got no idea, but you yeah. don't like we tend to still agree with using it, right? In situations totally. that call for it. And also like look, it's maybe logical to have this sort of train of thought, but I also wanted to bring up the idea of like um just because, like, it's probably not a coincidence, right, that the most effective drugs all work on serotonin, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that serotonin deficiency is the cause of depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a better sort of way to conceptualize that is you look at, like, steroid cream to treat mm-hmm. allergic reactions, mm-hmm. right? The fact that this works doesn't mean that steroid deficiency was the cause of, yeah, like, an totally. allergic rash. Um, it could be, like, off-target effects or just, like, the way that it interacts yeah, with Yeah, or just treating totally. some of the symptoms. Like, it's, yeah. it's the whole thing is, you know, we don't really know, but we do know that they help. And also, like, medication and psychotherapy have both been found to be very mm-hmm. tr- effective for the treatment of depression and more effective when used together. Mm-hmm. And mm. so, I don't know. I would just say if you are feeling symptoms of depression just – in, and you've been recommended to take medication, I would I would trust your medical team and I would not be scared of it based on reviews like this and people trying to spark controversy for the sake of it. Um, yeah. So that that's me on psychological darkness. Well, there you go. <laughs> Thanks for that, Cade. And that's all we've got time for on today's show. Our final song is The Sound of Silence by Disturbed. And catch you next week.